You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, June 6th, 2007, and this is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. Joining me this evening are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hello, everyone. Perry DeAngelis. All right. Jay Novella. How's it going? And Evan Bernstein. Hi, everyone. As we commemorate D-Day today, June 6th. D-Day. I can't bust your balls. That wasn't very that. amusing. That's when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> no, the Japanese. Uh, Come on. Get it right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. In, in space news, uh, today's the day that Messenger spacecraft makes its second flyby of Venus as it's en route to Mercury. That's right. Good luck to Messenger. Did it find any women? <laughs> Rebecca, I'd like to welcome you back, though. It was it was a rough two weeks without you. That wasn't that rough. Thank you. It was one and a half. Have your technical yeah. woes all been worked out? Yeah, no. I think I think so. I, I, got think so. A, I have a brand new computer. It's you beautiful. Have a Mac? Yes, I do. It's not a real computer. No, it's like a toy. It's more like an Etch-a-Sketch. There's a little mouse inside. He runs on a wheel. For just a quick plug for our friends over at Astronomy Cast. They've put up episode number 39, which includes an interview with me. Uh, I talked to Fraser Kane about astrology and UFOs. So we'll have a, we'll have cool. a link to that podcast uh, on the notes page, of course. How'd it go? Good interview. Good interview. I recommend it. Yeah, it was fun. I got, we got a few emails alerting us to the fact, after our discussion about the Creation Museum in Kentucky, that, in fact, there is a creation museum opening up in Alberta, Canada. It's spreading like a virus. Yeah, they're cropping up like mushrooms. Like herpes. Were they jealous? Canada's first permanent museum dedicated to creationism opened its doors next Tuesday in rural Alberta. This is a little bit more of a low-budget operation. This one only cost $300,000, not the $25 million they were able to splurge for in Kentucky. But it's basically the same thing, you know, a series of displays on biblical things. Um, How much money do you need to put a big right. sign up that said, God did it? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, they, they <laughs> a construction paper and a magic marker, you know, and you're, and you're it done. It says they have fossils right. and model DNA strands meant to support a literal interpretation of the Bible. Yeah, so they have the trappings of science with, you know, DNA molecules and stuff. I'm sorry, I'm sorry wait, wait, where was DNA mentioned in the Bible? I think I missed that. Uh, it's in the back somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they, did they come up with that with the, the Bible code? It's like yeah, I was about to say, yeah, they must have done the Bible code where they also talk about, you know, all the other scientific facts that were conveniently left out. Do you know how many times the letters D, N, and A appear in the Bible? Mm. Come on. It's all over it. Stick with science, Bob. We'll do the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> they claim Sorry, that dinosaurs but... are mentioned multiple times in the Bible. Of course, they're interpreting references to dragons and Le- Leviathan, etc., as right. dinosaurs. Whatever helps you sleep at night, you <laughs> crazy creationist. Another interesting news item from the past week. NASA chief Michael Griffin got into a bit of a pickle when he was interviewed about his thoughts on global warming. Uh, He was interviewed for National Public Radio. Griffin basically said that he agrees that global warming is happening, but he also said that he doesn't think that we necessarily need to do anything about it. That saying that we should take measures to prevent global warming implies that the current climate is the best possible climate that we can have, that there's something objectively 
preferred or optimal about our current climate. And of course, you know, historically, the Earth has gone through through many different climates. The climate changes over time, and therefore, it's you know, it's not a, not appropriate to assume that there's something special or or perfect about the current climate. He's totally missing the point, though. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and we mentioned this before, I think, when we were discussing uh, the George Will article that made the same basic point, that it's kind of a straw man because no one is saying that we need to keep the climate where it is because this is the objectively perfect climate for the Earth. It just happens that we have built our civilization around the current climate. Uh, for example, placing our cities on existing coastlines, and we wouldn't want those coastlines to change, even though there's nothing objectively perfect about where the current coastlines are. It'd be nice if they, if they didn't change anytime soon. So I don't think that point is really valid. And in fact, you know, in the past week, since you know, making these comments, he's been forced to backpedal. He's actually apologized for the comments that he made. He said he was interjecting his personal opinion when he shouldn't uh, be doing that. And he said that the whole issue of climate change is more political than scientific. And therefore, he should have been you know, more cautious before expressing his personal opinions. You know, certainly he should be a little bit more cautious about what he says, given his position as the head of NASA. And uh, he was also criticized by uh, meteorologists at NASA who felt that they were being undercut or backstabbed by their boss. Here's my theory. My theory is that it is in the NASA chief's best interest to uh, increase global warming and destroy the planet so we're forced to give NASA more funding to establish colonies on the moon. Which will just go and overheat. So it's a conspiracy. It's, no well, okay, I mean, I guess you could apply that word to you, to it if you want. A conspiracy of one. It makes perfect sense in my head. What's scary to me is that someone in his position that has access to, you know, all the scientists and everything can ask people firsthand. I mean, the fact that he, he still isn't really sold on the whole global warming thing is, is alarming. I'm not me. really sold on the whole global warming thing. Look. Yeah, but I, Perry, you're I, an idiot. I believe that the, I believe that the planet's warming up. I mean, all you need is a thermometer to determine that, right? You know, my no. contention, <laughs> is, my contention is how, uh, how much human causation is involved in it, to what extent. And what this NASA chief said wasn't even that controversial. Well, it was controversial in that he totally put out a straw man, a ridiculous straw man. But Perry, don't, don't you read about global warming? I mean, don't you, don't you hear the research? Don't you, you know, are you, are you paying attention? Like, where are you coming up with your, uh, your, your opinion? Do you have a compelling reason to reject the consensus of, of thousands of climate scientists who said that it's 90% likely that, that human uh, forcing of the climate is, is happening, that, that humans are contributing significantly to global warming? Why do you reject that consensus? I, I have, yes, I, t- I have contention with that. Why? Because I read counterpoints from people like Dr. Gray. No, not from people like Dr. Gray. From Dr. Gray, he's the only big name they've got. Not the only one. It, it's disturbing to me to have someone in his position take a stance like this because, uh, you know, just like we're asking Perry, I'd like to ask him, why do you feel that way? What, 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 you know, where, what information are you drawing these conclusions from? But he, he didn't even say the same thing I'm saying. He said something completely different. Not, not, not a well-thought-out position. It probably was talking off the cuff. And surprisingly, Perry's objection to human forcing of the climate, I think, is more respectable than this guy's. I mean, at least Perry's saying, I don't think the evidence for, you know, human forcing is compelling. I mean, which is wrong, but at least it's better than this guy throwing out this straw man. 
Yeah, so there's a couple of other bits of global warming news in the past week, and I think that a lot of this is being sparked by the upcoming summit. President Bush, who has previously really hasn't been acknowledging that global warming is a, is a problem or acknowledging the consensus of scientific opinion, and recently for the first time said global warming is happening, it's, you know, it's human caused, we need to do something about it, uh, and that he's going to take it very, very seriously. This was characterized as a preemptive statement in preparation for the G8 summit on global warming so that he doesn't get you know, ambushed while he's there. As a follow-up to that, Tony Blair said that uh, he could persuade President Bush to agree to, uh, for the first time to global targets for substantial cuts in greenhouse gases within a framework sanctioned by the United Nations. So just a lot of recent political talk about global warming, I think, in the lead-up to the G8 summit. Yeah. What, the sum of uh, 400 million people and what happens, you know, with Russia and China, India, countries like that that represent billions of people, arguably half the world's population. Uh, perhaps efforts, better efforts need to be made to go after the leaders of those countries to get them to get on board with this as well. Uh, well, clearly, if you're talking about the next 50 to 100 years, I mean, right now the U.S. Outprodu- you know, produces more CO2 per capita than anybody else. But if you're talking the next 50 to 100 years, we absolutely got to – and we want to have a significant impact on CO2 production – India and China have to be part of the equation. They are also talking about that, and, and Bush did mention you know, that initiatives will involve them. That they're, they're essentially saying that you know, Kyoto wasn't really fair, wasn't effective. We need to go beyond Kyoto to some actual real things that are going to be more inclusive and, and, and have an impact. Another somewhat political news item in the past week, this was sent to me by uh, a couple of listeners, there is currently a bill before the Senate, the United States Senate, that was passed, has already passed the, the, uh, the House, essentially forcing the Veterans Administration hospitals to pay for chiropractic care or to, to offer chiropractic care to veterans. How, how does this happen? Well, this is you know, not surprising at all, and this is uh, – you know, chiropractic as a profession has been very aggressive in doing exactly this, getting states to pass laws to force insurance companies to cover chiropractic care. So essentially, they're bypassing more you know, traditional scientific route of deciding like what treatments are, uh, are scientific, what treatments are supported by the evidence and should be covered, and using their political clout and political uh, maneuvers in order to force coverage for their services. You think they have a good chance of getting through? Yeah, I think they do. And they always do these things and you know, they, they, they never like there's never a big public debate about it. I mean, I unless you you go looking for it, it just it just happens in the dead of night, you know, they just quietly slowly get these laws passed and before you know it, you know, um well, Steve, don't the ma- don't the majority of people have a favorable opinion of chiropractors to begin with? I mean, there really wouldn't be any kind of grassroots effort to uh, to stop something like this. I don't know that if you could say that the majority of people are positive towards chiropractors. Majority of people I, I know are. There is, well, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people who do go to chiropractors, but I also know a lot of people who are very unsure about them because of what they're doing. You know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of skepticism, you know, especially when it comes to somebody who's yanking around your back. I, I don't know. I see some good amount of uh, skeptical thinking when it comes to chiropractors these days. Some recent statistics put out by the American Chiropractic Association claims 
that about 6% of Americans have seen a chiropractor in the last year, and 23% when asked said that they would see a chiropractor for back pain. So it's not a majority. The way it happens that I see is somebody will bring up, oh, I'm going to the chiropractor, and then another person will say, eh, isn't that weird that you always have to keep going back? Or, yeah, you know, I hear that do you one think it really helps? Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, and that's not even with some dyed-in-the-wool skeptic. I, I think I see that with among, you know, the regular population. But I think there's definitely a very large number of people that just don't really have an opinion on it. They just think it's something else. Just, you know, another another kind of doctor to go to. You know, I guess my point is that, you know, without because people don't know about chiropractic and exactly what it is, they don't take an interest in it. They don't care that this passes. In fact, I'd say that people would say this is good because they see it as another option for them, another choice that they can make. So I don't see that there's going to be any effort to stop this on any kind of level. And like you said, Steve, this will probably roll through Congress. Like with everything else, people are uninformed and they don't realize that chiropractors didn't graduate from medical school. Yeah, a lot of people really don't know what it's about. And certainly, I mean, I've never spoken to anyone like outside of small skeptical circles who like actually like could describe in any kind of reasonable detail what the chiropractic profession is like or like knew that there were straights and mixers and, and, and knew basically what straight chiropractors were all about. I, I don't perceive a lot of general knowledge in the public about that. Uh, and that's why these, th- these kind of things do get through. They also, people don't realize that this is going to divert limited funds from better therapies, from therapies that are either more scientific or more effective. Uh, that's the real harm. It's not just providing choice. It's diverting resources. Uh, and that's the harm that this kind of thing does, as well as legitimizing pseudoscience. You know, They say, oh, well, the VA covers it, so it's got to be scientific. No, it's not. it was not a scientific decision. It was a political decision. But I guarantee you from this point forward, chiropractors will present it as if it were a, a, a mark of scientific legitimacy. Yeah. And then, Steve, when this thing passes, and um, does that kind of open the door for other people pushing their hokum to uh, to lobby Congress to do similar things for... Yeah, absolutely. For It'll home- be homeopathy, homeopathy and acupuncture. And, you know, it, all, it all goes through the same way. It's the wedge theory. And they'll say, oh, look, they did it for chiropractic. Got to do it for us. Oh, okay. Well, any of our listeners out there who are living in the United States, write to your senator and, and voice your opinion about uh, this bill. We'll have a link to the actual bill so that you can read it and maybe we'll get them to consider the other side. The next news item is part of our recurring theme on people who die of pseudoscience. That's the worst recurring theme ever. I know, it's It's, the saddest one. It's sad, but I think these are occasional good uh, lessons lessons on how pseudoscience kills. It's not all harmless. It's not all harmless. This this one took place in Australia. Apparently there were some New Age uh, individuals who were going on a hike and uh, in, in Australia, and uh, they were undergoing an eight-day ritual of fasting, meditation, and purification. This was being led by so-called New Age healer David Jarvis. One of the members of this group was, uh, I, I guess they said he was lying in a dry lake bed when he fell unconscious. Now, rather than thinking that maybe he's unconscious from dehydration or exhaustion or exposure, they thought he was unconscious because he was his he was astrally projecting. <laughs> so they stood around him, or you know, reasonable, and they did a ritual to help lure his spirit, his astral projection, back to his body. And surprisingly, right, they just pull on the silver. Yes, surprisingly, cord. that didn't work. 
and he died. Instead of them saying, well, let's see, you know, all this drum beating and, and hand rubbing and all this stuff that they were doing to him, instead of it waking him up and bringing him back, he's still unconscious. Well, he must be really intensely astral projecting. Right. You know, instead the guy is literally dying, what was he, in a coma at that point, Steve? He got to the hospital. He was alive when they brought him to the hospital. He died soon after when they, they got him in. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he was probably unconscious, and he was probably coming back to consciousness, saw these baboons around him, decided his life was worthless, closed his eyes, yeah, and died. went back on his astral trip. They attempted to revive him by banging drugs, chanting, burying their feet in soil, and massaging their hands. And that didn't work? That yeah. didn't work. Well, what else were they supposed to do? The, uh, that guy, David Jarvis, told the police... He told the police that the guy was attempting to assume a higher level of consciousness by activating a peace pipe. Who's David Jarvis? The, he's the that's, guru. That's who led the, them. the healer. Ah. He's the head guy. So he was smoking yeah. up. I mean, yeah, isn't, isn't that called getting stoned? Yeah, I think so. Maybe he really was on a higher plane. And uh, are, there any charge, are there any charges being There's an inquest. Brought? There's an inquest. Uh-huh. So we'll see what comes of that, but... Uh, this this reminds me of the case of um, Newmaker, the the ten year old girl who yeah. was undergoing the birthing ritual, and they had her wrapped up. Yeah, and she was right. that was nasty. She wasn't moving for thirty minutes before they thought they should take a look at her. You know, different though because in that one they took an active role in yeah, killing her. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This guy was just an adult. Negligence. It was his choice, and and he just died. Yeah, yeah the know? Newmaker case was much much worse. This one was just. Stupidity, you know. It's going to be hard to to get a charge. Would be this negligent one. homicide. Is that what that would be? For for who? Who are you going to? For this one, because some guy told him not to eat. If you if somebody dies because of something you do out of absolute sheer stupidity and ignorance, what is your culpability? I don't know. Well, it de- depraved in action, isn't it called depraved in action or depraved indifference? But depraved was it? That's the that's the. I think it probably varies state by state, but none of us are lawyers. Yeah, and this so is Australia. Australia, Australia, too. So, in the Aboriginal, um, if there are any yeah. Australian lawyers out there, let us know what you think about this kind of case. I'm interested. I'm not sure what what the actual charge would be, but it's probably something like negligent manslaughter or depraved indifference, something like that, or depraved stupidity. Yeah, yeah you know, but you can't. Like you know what? You won't do it because the people will say at the time right. they were convinced. That he was unconscious. You'll have to bring the reasonable man standard into the courtroom and say, and and the jury will have to decide. I assume if it works anything like American law, the reasonable man standard is it. You'll have to say, would a reasonable person have assumed the same thing these people did or not? That's what it's going to have to be. I, I do think that if you are leading this kind of ceremony, it's your responsibility to make sure that a basic level of safety is being observed. And I, right. I would hold somebody culpable f- for that. It may be that it, it's not criminal, um, but he may he could get right. sued you know, for wrongful death uh, because he was responsible for the whole thing and he should have been taking more safety precautions. In a just world, he'd be convicted, but I don't think in the real world. The context of the situation was that they were doing a ritual where being unconscious or appearing to be near death was part of the goal yeah and that's that's part of the reason why it went so bad because being unconscious was kind of the goal of the situation so that kind of let it get way out of hand bob that's a good point another thing that any defense attorney would bring in is had they done this before with safe results where somebody actually was unconscious or pretending to be so 
and and nothing went wrong when they did their ritual. Right. Although you could argue, the counter argument would be it's still your responsibility to monitor for safety. The fact that you it hasn't a bad outcome hadn't occurred before doesn't mean it still wasn't. You, wasn't negligent. You just got lucky before. Yeah. Okay. It's a point. But you're right. The, detail, the details will matter. The details will matter. I think the guy's yep. going to get off. That's what I think. Probably. I, I Somehow think so. no one will question astral traveling in all of this, which, is, <laughs> which will be remarkable, of course. I kind of feel like astral traveling is so far over the edge over the that road. the people who are that into it are the true believers who are really not going to change their mind no matter what. What if you, know? you had an astral travel expert come forward and say that, you know, hit, uh, something went wrong on the astral plane, and that's why he died. Yeah, you know, Perry, he, he could was, have been fighting he, a dragon over there. Well, that's what I'm saying. He was a, he was a poor astral travel p- practitioner, you know, and that's what killed him. Oh, you know what, though? Isn't yeah, it true no. that they say that if you, uh, you, you sever your silver cord that you're lost forever? I mean, this guy obviously was swinging a sword around. That, That's why I said, couldn't they have just yanked them back What on earth are you talking about? Oh, come on. Do the research, Rebecca. You know about the silver cord. The silver cord. It's a silver cord that attaches from your lame body to your astral body. Thank you. A silver cord. Okay. It's a silver cord, and if it gets severed, like Jay said, you're lost forever. It's not easy to break, though. If you pull on it, it'll stretch like taffy. Yep. And this, this is something they yeah. actually this believe. Is the real, this is yes. the real This is deal. astral travel mythology. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's correct. That's right. That's exactly what it is. We have two more news items, both video-related. The first one is a quick follow-up to last week where we mentioned the UFO drone that we were we had an email question about. And there were several pictures of these, what, what we thought were hoaxes, you know, small models that were all static. And we mentioned that there was no moving video of the of the so-called drones. Since then, we were sent links to to video of the uh, of the, the the drone in action. Although uh, they are both admitted computer graphic animations. What somebody did was they took the still image from from those pictures and then used software, you know, to to animate it to make to move it around and give it a little hum. And rotate it, and it, it looked, looked good, good because yeah. the the original image was so yeah. clear. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah. So they were able to get a really nice. I, mean, piece. I think experts could look at it, it and did. say, "Yeah, this is CGI," but it still it looked pretty good to the uh, amateur eye or the naive eye. It did. Yeah, I mean the fact that somebody did that at home, I, I'm very impressed. So if you do see video out there, don't be confused. That's admitted, you know, fakery. This is not video that's being posted by the original person as something that he videotaped with a camera. Also, it does bring – some people made the point in the comment section to these videos that um, – and I believe we've, we've discussed this before – that in the age of CGI, of computer graphics and computer animation, photographic and video evidence is becoming virtually worthless. Um, as the, the the ability to distinguish between genuine video and cr- crafted video uh, is becoming more and more difficult. Can't use it to make any kind of scientific analysis at all. Right, and just just as evidence, just as physical evidence of of something. I mean, it's the the fakes are getting so good that we're we're losing it almost as a source of evidence. At the very least. If, if you're going to offer either a picture or um, video as evidence, you need to see the negative. If there is a negative, if it's, if it's purely digital, you know, then an unaltered 
you know version of the uh, the original file you know before any kind of alterations right. were taken so well steve it's also you know keep this in mind if it's from a security camera or you know a source that's trustworthy then it is still very useful it's it's when you see things like this on youtube on the internet yeah but then you need like you the original tape you need yeah. something to to document that what the original source is. Yeah, if it's something that's posted up on YouTube, I mean, you know, who knows what kind of manipulations? Have I noticed happened. NASA didn't have anything to say about no, it. They were silent, conspicuously <laughs> silent. They could have used a little more uh, sound effects in the video. You know, <laughs> yeah, anything you know, would have been cooler. Right. We come in, yeah, pe- we come in peace. We Rebecca, let me ask you a question. Uh, yeah. Rebecca, did you believe in anything when you were young? Well, where did that come from? Because I, I just realized that I don't know. I don't know where you know if you if you believe in UFOs or you know. I I know I you're believed too, in nothing. You didn't have in search of because you're a lot younger <laughs> yeah. than us. But I well, yeah, I mean, I, I believed in everything. I mean, I was a kid with an active imagination. I think we all did. I, I yeah. You hear some people claim that no, no, no. You know, I was. I was yeah. yeah, I was debunking what? Santa Claus from the womb, and yeah. uh, you know, but I, I don't see any sense in priding oneself on that. You know, when you're a kid, you you have to believe in everything. There's so much cool That's stuff right. out there that everything is possible. You got it all worked out, right, Evan? You bet it did. The last news item is. Uh, about a, a, a video that's been circulating for the last week. Alleged video of the Loch Ness Monster. So Nessie is back in the news after after a time of being quiescent. This is that Long picture of that floating turd? <laughs> we haven't heard anything from Nessie. This, the news reports about it are so funny. I, mean, I like watching these, uh, the local news programs. They're, they're just... So ridiculous. The, this, the guy who took the photo, the uh, the video is billed as an amateur scientist, uh, Yorkshire man Gordon Holmes, and you know, listening to this guy talk on the, on the uh, the news clip about him, it's, it's he really is you know ridiculous. He says all the usual things that oh you know we don't know what it is, but it's interesting. Scientists need to take a look at this. It deserves you know further investigation. It may take years for us to figure out what it really is. All the basically mystery-mongering mystery statements. The video is of a black smudge that appears to be moving it, through it the is, water. I was serious. It is the most turd-esque picture of, <laughs> of Nessie I've it's ever true. seen. It doesn't show I, any detail. It shows, it shows a dark wake being moved under the, under the yeah. water. You, you have no perspective on size. You have no perspective on the speed that it's moving. Yeah, as usual with these videos, it's ridiculously disappointing yeah. because you hear all this buzz about, oh, the biggest new video yeah. to show a monster. And it's nothing. Just it's crap. I want to see friggin' Nessie get out of the lake and stomp a uh, Tokyo. Have you guys seen that commercial? <laughs> I want to see the commercial uh, about, it's like an SUV, where the yes. Loch Ness Monster like, comes out of the lake and bites, grabs, like, sw- grabs the SUV and drags it under the lock and then spits, and it, spits it back it out. out. I have not seen that, but I yeah, support I mean, that's, it. That's what I want to see. I want to see... That's better evidence than this fo- An than actual this creature, not a black smudge. We live in a world that is just dominated by uh, devices that capture photos right. and videos and sound they're on your phones they're in your pocket and yet this is the best we get right, yeah. come on well, I, i'm beginning to think that that this is fake <laughs> yeah, think so? i think so too perry i, I, I think the I whole think so thing I, i'm really i'm losing faith 
Now that's that's a little the, the a comments. Scary. The comments underneath the news item are funny, though. I just want to read you one. It starts out so reasonable. This guy says, "This certainly isn't Nessie. It's similar to something photographed on Lake Windermere earlier this year. It's a rubber tube being dragged along. Yes, it will be good for the tourists, but is a but it is a publicity stunt and a cheap trick to make the photographer known. Anyone thinking that this is Nessie is sick." But then he writes his last sentence, Nessie is a spirit that shouldn't be exploited for the sake of money. Oh, Nessie's a spirit. <laughs> this this well, was written I, by I think of that? Kevin Carlian, high priest of British white witches. Uh, that's got to be that's got to be a joke, man. Uh, that's it. Spirit. It's brilliant. I, I think that's why Nessie's so seldom seen, because he's astrally projected most of the time. Yeah, he, I love when unknowns are explained with unknowns. Nessie and Bigfoot it. are in the astral plane having a big laugh. Uh, that's oh, right. Maybe that's where that guy went. Went to the astral plane. <laughs> saw yeah, Nessie hanging and out with Elvis. Elvis and- it shows you the power of a, a, or you know, the genesis of a pseudoscience or, or a pseudo-belief like this. You know, the guy that faked the original one, the really cool-looking one that really captured my attention when I was a kid. I mean, people forever are going to be hearing about the Loch Ness Monster. It's, it's going to exist in human culture, I think, forever, right? In- Until they finally carry out my plan and drain the lock. Thank you. Case closed. <laughs> even then. No, even then, Perry. You're <laughs> even being then, Perry. Even what are you talking about? Nessie swims out to the sea and then comes back when you refill the lock. Well, let's move on to your email. The first email comes from Liam Kidney, and he writes, Dear Skeptics, on episode number 97, Perry incorrectly attributed the quote of the week to George Bernard Shaw, British playwright of some note. That The quote would instead have been more correctly attributed to George Bernard Shaw, Irish playwright of some note. And interestingly, the only person ever to be awarded both a Nobel Prize and an Oscar. Thanking Perry in advance for his correction, Liam, an outraged Irish listener. We actually had a few people point that out to us, uh, so a minor error on Perry's part. George Marshar was, in fact, an Irish playwright. First of all, Liam, I'd like to point out that I did not say he was a British playwright of some note. I said he was a British dramatist of some note. Okay? Minor. So get your little quotes right, and Thanks. let's move on. Maybe he was from Northern, maybe he was from Northern Ireland. Thanks for the correction of the correction, Perry. Next, uh, the next email comes from B. Baggett from the USA, and he writes... Fox News just reported that police presence will be increased in Brighton because of increase in violent crimes during the full moon. (laughs) This was reiterated in reports in BBC News, which cite a 1998 study and another German study in 2000. I am still a bit skeptical. A three-month study seems a little too short to come to any conclusions. I thought this lunacy theory was all bunk. What do you think? B. Babbitt. Well, I agree with Baggett. It is bunk. It's been proven to be bunk for decades. But again, like the unsinkable rubber duckies, these kind of things never, ever, ever go away. Uh, as we were just saying about the Loch Ness Monster, this is like just one of those bits of mythology that's likely to hang around. There are – I have links to some, some interesting um, reviews. The, the Skeptics Dictionary actually has a very good article on this with lots of uh, links. There have been numerous reviews of all the, the studies that have been done basically showing no correlation between the phases of the moon to uh, crimes, ER admissions, uh, and any way you choose to measure it. There, there's no association you know, between this whole full moon st- thing is so stupid. Everybody knows it's the new moon that brings out the right. vampires. Well, actually, when there's right. no light at all, that's you know. Steve, I remember talking to someone about about this this exact topic, and uh, you know they were like, "Well, the you know 
there's more of a gravitational pull during the full moon and everything. And I had to literally explain to the uh-huh. person that the gravitational pull of the moon doesn't change to, be, because right. of how much light that's is exactly correct. On so, it from the sun. Yeah, I, that was one of sort of the hand waving arguments that people make. Well, it's the tidal effects of the moon on the water around your brain, right? The moon affects water, and your brain floats in water. It's you know, that's which is nonsense on multiple levels. Not to me- you know, first is that the tidal forces of the moon on your skull are negligible, right? The the tidal forces, as I think Bob was discussing a few episodes ago, is the difference in the gravitational pull from one side of an object to another. And the difference in the gravitational pull of the moon from one side of your skull to the other is negligible. Uh, also, it, the, that force, that tidal force, does not change with the phase of the moon. W- what does change is whether or not the tidal forces of the moon and the tidal forces of the sun are lining up. Or, or if they're not lining up, right? And that's why, so the maximal and minimal tides occur when the, when the moon is opposite the sun at, during full moon, or even more so when the moon is on the same side as the sun during a new moon. So any effect that you're going to attribute to tidal forces should be equal or greater during the new moon as during the full moon. As I just said. Uh, but Steve, doesn't it pull on yeah. the iron in your blood? <laughs> <laughs> That's not even worth I the comment. I don't know. I haven't heard that one. Uh, uh, but now, here's the kernel of, of legitimate science in all of this because there's always – if you dig deep enough, there's always a kernel of legitimate science. There is a, a theoretical effect uh, of the phases of the moon in that it does give off different amount of light and it is actually possible for uh, hormonal – rhythms to synchronize with certain external rhythms like there's a diurnal rhythm one that uh, that synchronizes with the, with the day night cycle and there are animals that have proven lunar cycles that you know have different secretions of you know different levels of certain hormones during the different different uh, times of the month it's it, in fact it's it's possible that uh, the human female menstrual cycle, which is about a lunar month long, uh, evolved in synchrony with with the lunar cycles. And there is some evidence that, that women's menstrual cycles are not random with respect to the phase of the moon, that there's a, there's a little peak. I believe about 28% of women tend to menstruate around the new moon. And that is greater. It's that's a that's a peak. So it's more than is just distributed across the rest of the month. So, so if I'm, that's if I'm hearing you right, Steve, you're saying that Rebecca is crabbier during the new moon. You could infer that from what I just said. I think I'm just crabbier whenever you're around, Perry. So <laughs> you might be. There is the Perry effect <laughs> that, that confounds that data. The Perry effect. But now listen. <laughs> but none none of this justifies any of the extrapolations to. Uh, criminal activity, ER admissions, or anything. When you look at any of that data, there, there simply is no correlation. The studies that were referenced in the news articles, one I was able to find on PubMed, and it's not actually a study. There's no data presented in the article. It's just this guy's review of the of the lunar effect and you know speculating about possible mechanisms and maybe talking about some previous studies, but it, there, it isn't actually a study. There's no data presented in it. Uh, I couldn't find the the German one from 2000 that was referenced, but but more recent studies have been negative, and more recent reviews, you know, published since then have have been absolutely negative. So the bottom line is, there's no scientific evidence to to say that there's any connection. Yeah, but Steve, the police the police 
spokeswoman said research carried out by us has shown a correlation. What yeah, she's talking, talking about? about her. Well, was her, it a, was it a new moon when she said that? <laughs> but she's talking about. Yeah, she's refer, referring to their own quote unquote research. Yeah, which the, is not published. Yeah, the police anywhere. are running around doing their own investigations. Yeah, so it's you know we don't know what scientific protocols are following, if any. What she basically says... Oh, Steve, they're sitting around an office chair going, hey, don't you notice that, Frank? Yeah, That's I do. basically you know, what she says. It's like, hey, everyone knows it. We all notice that there's more stuff going on during the full moon than at other times of the month. But that is just confirmation bias. The, the belief drives the observation. I have a little anecdote that supports that. I was working in an ER as a medical student, as an intern. I was working in an ER as an intern, and it was a particularly busy night. And one of the nurses said, wow, it's crazy tonight. Is there a full moon out there? And there wasn't. It was some other phase of the moon. So she, you know, she said, oh, and then just forgot it and went on with her, went on with her, with the shift. Now, of course, if there were by coincidence, you know, of the two or three day period where there's a reasonably full moon, she would have remembered it. It would have confirmed the prior belief that there's a full moon effect. This this negative evidence or this this you know this uh, bit of data that was that did not fit with the lunar hypothesis was quickly forgotten, and you could see she just said oh and just forgot about it and went on with her life. So that's confirmation bias, you know, in action. And you didn't say anything to her. I, I did. I said, see, if it were <laughs> a full moon, you would have used that to support that belief, and you. And she quickly converted to skepticism. Absolutely. So no, when when in one ear and out the other. <laughs> she said, shut up, you little intern. That's what she said and moved on. <laughs> I'd like to make a quick comment, though, on the person who sent in this particular yes. question. We don't know if that happens to be uh, first name Buffy Baggett, do we? It's just B. Baggett. B. Baggett. Why? Who's Buffy Baggett? Buffy Baggett is a uh, fan of ours. Um, she has a... Uh, picture and a link up to her website at the SGU fan site. And Buffy, if this is in fact Buffy, I can imagine there's only so many B. Baggett's emailing Could be us, Brenda Baggett. Uh, is, an, is an accomplished uh, opera singer. Is that right? Apparently. Yeah. You should go check. Cool. So go to the SGU fans, check out Buffy's link. and. So she, she's an opera singer of some note, is what you're saying? Apparently. Critically acclaimed. <laughs> I'm note. just reading through her website now, and there's some very good reviews of her. So uh, for those interested. Buffy, if you ever send us a, uh, a question again, you have to record yourself singing the question and send it <gasps> Operatically in. singing the question. That's awesome. That would be great. To, car- to, to, to the Carmen theme. We're drifting too far from Rebecca's menstruation. We, we need yes, to please. Let's all focus on my bloody Rebecca, vagina. What? That'll uh, bloody hell. Oh that'll really bring, <laughs> bring in the listeners. <laughs> Rebecca, you just went up with like, three clicks in my book. <laughs> I totally love you. That's really disgusting. Oh, it's disgusting, Barry, because you seemed really intent on discussing it earlier, and I thought maybe you'd want to move forward with that. Oh, okay, interesting. Perry wants to move on. I'm I'm outraged. I'm outraged. The next email comes from Eric Kemp, who gives his location as the Houston area. That's in Texas. And Eric writes, Hello, I just found the podcast, and I love it. I haven't had time to hear all of them, so if this has already been covered, then please dismiss. I've been reading about several healing techniques, and almost all of them come with the possible side effect of what's called a healing crisis or a Herxheimer reaction. The claim is that your body is flushing out so many toxins that you become ill because of it. I would love to hear what you think of this. Keep up the good work. Well, the Herxheimer reaction is a real phenomenon. Ooh. It happens if you have a raging bacterial infection and you are given a high dose of antibiotics 
the antibiotics can kill so many bacteria so quickly that those bacteria will, will dump their toxins, especially if they're the kind of bacteria that secrete toxins, into your bloodstream. So you'll get this, you know, this incredible rush of breakdown products of the bacteria and, of, and of possibly of toxins. And that can make you acutely ill. So that's a real thing. Now, that doesn't happen, however, with holistic healing because that doesn't do anything. So it's, they're just borrowing a terminology from real medicine. It's, it's kind of, a, uh, of you know, bragging to say that, oh, our, our healing is so effective that you can have this acute reaction. But it's mainly used as a post hoc rationalization. So what they're saying is if you're sick and you go to a healer and you get better, that's because the healing worked. And if you get worse, that's because the healing worked really well. So either way, the healing worked. Be careful. Don't wield this power incorrectly or you might damage yourself. Right. Have you guys listened to the latest episode of uh, Quackcast? Not, not yet. What was I that did about? not, no. Mark Chrysops. Well, it's about uh, pr- uh, probiotics. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's the opposite of antibiotics. I'm sure you know about oh, yeah. it, Steve. But yeah. If you, we if touched any, on that a while ago. If any of our listeners are interested, listen to uh, his most recent episode. It was great, and it you know it, this uh, email reminded me of the episode. Yeah, very quickly. I mean, probiotics again. It's, it's a it's a real thing. It's like you know, we all have good bacteria in our guts that help us digest stuff, and, and also you know the, our mucous membranes are colonized with friendly bacteria that keep out other infections like bad bacteria or fungus. So promoting a good, um, you know, symbiotic bacteria is technically what we call probiotics. But then, of course, every, you know, there are people who take this to pseudoscientific extremes and use the same term to refer to a whole bunch of nonsense. But so, you know, so I was like emailing. I was uh, Mark and I were emailing each other, um, and I asked him about uh, about eating yogurt, which I'm totally surprised to say this, yeah, but it works. Know, well, he said the only time that yogurt actually could give you a benefit is if you're trying to get over diarrhea. Other than that, it doesn't do anything. Right. You don't need it. Well, I had a, I had a sinus infection recently, and I was put on two back-to-back 10-day prescriptions of antibiotics, and I could feel what it was doing to my insides. And, yeah. I, and I looked at, and I did a quick look up on the, on the internet, and it said, go, you can either go eat yogurt, or they sell uh, the... Um, uh, the active culture in pill form. Acidophilus. I'm not sure what it's called. And you can t- thank yeah, you. Acidophilus. If you and, have uh, depleted your your own bacteria with a course of antibiotics, yes, then that's a time when it might be helpful. Uh, in fact, when people do take antibiotic courses, one of the possible complications, especially in women, is they make it fungal infections. You know, I knew this was going to come back to my vagina again. <laughs> it did. Oh it God. does. It, does it ever get away? I am. Or, or you could get what we call thrush, right? You can get thrush in your mouth, <laughs> yeah. which is, was also a fungal infection. That's a complication of antibiotic treatment because you're killing off the friendly bacteria. Steve, we are, we're coated in bacteria. Yes, in fact, I oh, think yeah. most of our driveway is bacteria. Yeah, you're more bacteria than anything else. Yeah. The next email it comes from another Eric. This one is Eric Catani from Las Vegas, and he writes... Hey, guys and gal, I found your podcast three months ago, and I have been avidly listening since my first download. Congratulations on the outstanding content. You are all very entertaining, even Perry. (laughs) The reason for this email is that I'm hoping you could address the issue of chemtrails. Unfortunately, I am dating a woman who has two brothers in their 20s who spend most of their day combing the web for more information on how the government is trying to take over the government. 
the government in quotes, I guess that must be the secret government. I guess chemtrails are one of the many things our corrupt government is trying to do to kill people and assume control over the world. And we vote for these guys. I've never heard of chemtrails before, and from what I gather, they are caused by the government's attempts to control the weather and global warming. I can already hear new reasons for Katrina. While researching the subject on the web, I found a contrail versus chemtrail argument. Unfortunately, the skeptic becomes confused and loses the judged argument which was surprising because he did use a solid skeptical approach. I've attached the link, and I was hoping you could share your thoughts. Anyway, thanks for the great hours of listening, Eric. Well, chemtrails are are uh, w- one of the pseudosciences that I think are up there in, in ridiculous. Yeah, right up there were crop circles. Here's the basics on chemtrails. Yeah, give us the, the quickie background, Jay. Chemtrails are a collection of conspiracy theories that claim the government is introducing harmful chemicals into the atmosphere. According to the theory proponents, chemtrails form when certain aircraft leave behind chemical-laden contrails that, are, uh, that last longer than normal contrails. Normal contrails are basically made up of water vapor and exhaust jet engines. From jets. The proponents of chemtrails uh, actually believe that some vapor trails left by jets appear different and they behave differently than regular water vapor-based contrails. Similar to the colored smoke, like the white exhaust coming out of a jet that you would see at an air show. And, of course, there's a long and strange list of reasons that the government is releasing these chemicals into the atmosphere. So when I see a vapor trail in the sky, that's a chemtrail, supposedly? Well, there's people out there that literally take pictures of like any kind of weird cloud anomaly that they come up with. And they, they call those chemtrails. Ah. Chemtrails were actually, um, they came into life in the late 1990s. I, I think the guy that, that pretty much came up with the idea, his name was William Thomas. And, uh, you know, they think it's, a, they think it's a, an act of the world governments, you know. Was sure. just an ID pulled out of his ass? Pretty much. I mean, somebody made it up. It didn't come from, it didn't come from anywhere. It really didn't come from anywhere. Would you say that it came that out of thin air? I would. Whoa. But listen, so here, here are the things. Check this out. Here, here are all Sorry. the things that these people believe. You know, this, this is a collection of, of things that people believe chemtrails do. Atmospheric and weather modification. Biological warfare. Mind control. Okay. Uh, occult purposes. Uh, they're, they're also theorized to be part of a system to, uh, to counter the effects of global warming, and that came about. Um, there was actually like some type of bill that was passed temporarily that, that mentioned chemtrails, and that gave it a little bit more. Uh, it mentioned chemtrails or contrails? Yeah, um, uh put that. Chemtrails. Well, he basically, it was basically outlawing like bad weaponry, and they listed like all the things that should be outlawed as like unethical weaponry, and he listed chemtrails or you know, whatever, basically depositing toxins through jet exhaust. And yeah, that fueled the conspiracy theorists. Then the later version of the bill, they, they stripped out all the specifically listed items. Yeah. Some people think that it's a way to create cheap wireless communication, a, a cheap wireless communications network for the military because they're seeding the atmosphere um, with with some particles that make the air more able to transmit, uh, you know, receive and transmit electrical signals. They're, and they also bring up the radar systems, and it's, it's enhancing the, the ability of our radar systems. Um, and there's also, like, the New World Order thing thrown in with this. Yeah. And people think that the governments are dumping this stuff to make us sick 
to basically beat the common man down to, you know, kind of turn it into an Orwellian type of New World Order situation. How's that working out? <laughs> so far, so good. So I'm reading, I was reading this website not too long ago, um, this one and the one, if you want to go visit any website about chemtrails, just to get a laugh, because this is really like, you know, the guy's head comes open, you can peek in and really see what's going wrong Ew. in there. Uh, go to barriumblues.com. This guy believes, like he took pictures, or he had pictures that he found on the web of of uh, the Twin Towers burning, and he's like, you see that little cloud right there? That's a chemtrail. And there, and then he has this theory about like the planes that they use and all that. He, this guy is totally cracked beyond belief. Yeah, but this one, this is based largely in uh, paranoia and, you know, definitely attracts the mental Yeah, it's the black energy. helicopter guys. Absolutely. Yeah, the, these, it, <laughs> yeah does, it does attract the crackpots. I found one article on rents.com, which is a big promoter of this notion. And it's, this one's by Marjorie Teachin, and this is classic. The title, of, the title says it all, Blatant ABC Chemtrail Subliminals. How can you have blatant subliminals? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's blatant once you look into it. Right, once you see that it's there. And it's classic. You have to read the whole thing, but let me just give you a couple of highlights. <laughs> she, she, she writes about how she met an Air Force pilot somewhere you know, in public. And uh, so she st- tried to strike up a conversation with him. She asked him about uh, the possibility of chemtrails being used as some sort of sunscreen. And he replied... According to her, well, you know that we are having problems with too much of the sun's radiation entering our atmosphere. And then, you know, the conversation went in another direction and somebody else interrupted and she never really had a chance to follow up with him. But and then she reads all of this into the whole interaction. Like I knew that he wanted to say more and he knew exactly what was going on and he knew what I was talking about. She's just projecting all of this stuff onto this completely innocuous, innocent Interaction with this guy—it's really funny. As Jay said, you could see sort of the the uh, the, the wires crossing there, uh, and then she talks about how you know the 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 ABC Weather Service is using subliminal messages of chemtrails to try to like make people. Um, take them for granted and not notice them by having them in their graphics. And she complained to the manager of her local affiliate. And she says, you know, she seemed sincerely ignorant of the whole ruse, and I also think that she thought I might be a little bit off balance. No, no you don't say. <laughs> I got a message from a chemtrail once. It said, eat at Joe's, and I, I did. You sheeple. <laughs> sheeple? One of the claims made for it is that, you know, they, that often the, the chemtrails exist in crisscrossing, like a grid-like pattern. Yeah, like a cross-hatch pattern. Yeah, and the Air Force is like, well, you know, those are the flight paths of commercial airlines. You know, we, oh, how we actually we space them out. Yeah, we space them out in like east-west and north-south directions. So that's that's the commercial air traffic. Steve, they actually think that the, the chemtrails, first off, they, they claim they last longer than contrails. And then what happens is as they dissipate, they think that the chemtrails are creating a haze over you know areas yeah. that uh, uh, that they're trying to, to sicken people. Right. Well, yeah, but and, and, uh, and it's you know and seriously, it's all contrails that just behave differently depending upon the heat, the humidity, the winds, the you know, wind. the local but weather Steve, conditions. It's not just that, man. I'm telling you, go to Bo- Barry and Blues. This guy is literally taking pictures of like really pretty clouds, and he's like, "You see that? You see? Look at this!" And I mean, he's taking pictures of clouds like dissipating. Yeah, well, he's on the fringe like, of the fringe. Yeah. Oh, he's the, he's he's a kook. 
We have a uh, name that logical fallacy for this week. This one, uh, actually, the person who sent this didn't sign it, but they say, Dear Dr. Novella, could you and your colleagues help me name all the logical fallacies in the following? And this comes from today, the television show today, uh, from June 1st, 2007, which said, A woman after 13 failed in vitro fertilizations finally gets a surrogate who gives birth to a pair of twins. She gets interviewed and thanks God for the twins and says, God told me that this time was the right time, so I prayed and my wish came true. Then added, and I might have more kids if God wants me to. I suspect there are two clear logical fallacies, but there might be some other more subtle ones hidden there. Can you help? What do you guys think about well, this? Well, I prayed and my wish came true. That's obviously confusing uh, association with causation. Yep. And there's also uh, another effect in here. Uh, I don't know what the – it is just a subset of the, the um, assuming causation from correlation. But it happens when there's a series of events and when the one hits, you, you credit the uh, whatever it is that you were – we're praying to. So this is like a we'll called the rainmaker fallacy, right? It's like you dance and dance and dance, and then eventually it's going to rain. And when it rains, you credit the dancing, right? So she was praying and praying and praying. Thirteen failed in vitro fertilizations. Finally, the surrogate came through. God gets the credit for the one success, not the thirteen failures, right? Well, the other thirteen were Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Satan had a hand. That's Inter- all. Interfering yeah, with things. Satan blocking defense. Yeah. Lucifer Beelzebub. That's there's all. also some there's a post hoc fallacy in there. Um, you said, you know, and God, and I might have more kids if God's, God wants me to. So if she has more kids, that's because God wanted her to. And if she doesn't have more kids, well, God didn't want her to. So no matter what happens, it's consistent with God's will. So there's nothing that could happen that would basically, could possibly be evidence that. God's not mucking around with her fertility, you know. That there, that yeah, she didn't happen. give up after thirteen failed in vitro fertilizations and say, "Well, guess God hates me." That's often some people say. Well, God always answers prayers, but sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> sometimes the answer is cancer. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cancer. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. To science or it's time for. Science or Fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts. Two are genuine and one is fictitious. And then I try to challenge my uh, panel of skeptics and the listeners at home to tell me which one is the fake. Three items, one fake. Is everybody ready? Yep. Uh Yes, sir. Okay. Item number one. Researchers have successfully turned a mature skin cell into a stem cell that is identical to an embryonic stem cell. Item number two, once thought impossible, researchers have captured the motion of a single electron on a home video camera. And item number three, in order to address faculty shortages, a nursing institute has recently employed a robotic instructor to teach some classes. Jay, why don't you go first? All right. So, very interesting science or fiction, Steve. Uh, Researchers have successfully turned a mature skin cell into a stem cell that is identical to an embryonic stem cell. It's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Once thought impossible, researchers captured the motion of a single electron. Okay. On a home video. And 
the robotic nurse helper. And you're saying that the, the robot is actually teaching classes? Yes. I believe that that's the fake. Which one? The nursing one. <laughs> okay. The robot. The robot nurse. The one you said. The robot nurse is the fake. Okay. Perry, go next. Um, pass. <laughs> can, I, can I pass? What are you, George Bush? Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, first two sound, uh, you know, unlikely. But the third one sounds more unlikely. I understand that Roback actually became self-aware and asked for a raise. <laughs> you didn't report that, Steve. But the, yeah, the third, third one sounds most fakish. The nurse, the robot nurse. The nurse, the yes. nurse. Most okay, fakish. Okay, Evan. Self-aware. Evan. Oh, it's between, for me, it's between the single electron and a home video camera. A home video camera. I mean, they are getting better in quality and resolution and features but the motion of a single electron that's tough on the other hand a robotic instructor to teach some classes boy you know in Japan aren't they like leading the way in robotics and stuff anything you hear about robots doing things come out of Japan I wouldn't be surprised if that's legitimate something's telling me to say the video camera one but I'm going to go with the sheep and say that the robotic instructor is fiction. Ah, I'm so disappointed. I I, I, and I'm not happy with my choice, but I'm choosing it. You're going to say the, the robot nurse, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rebecca. I, I'm going to have to go with the robot nurse as well. I think the, the electron thing seems totally impossible, but I think you're doing something sneaky there. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the robot. Okay, Bob. Oh, I, I suspect some some subtle tweaking of some of these uh, stories, but I'm going to go with the robot instructor that teaches classes. It's fiction. I just don't think you can have, um, you know, as advanced as robots are, the interactivity is just not there, which is what you really need for a, for a robotic instructor. Um, I'm gonna, so I'm going to go with robot instructor. Yeah, but they're having faculty shortages. <laughs> well, I still think don't that. Don't try to is, save it now, Steve. <laughs> That is fiction. <laughs> you insert the end of the enema hose in the anal cavity. <laughs> I need one volunteer. <laughs> All right, Bob, so you're saying the robot nurse, too. <laughs> Bend over and grab your meat ankles. Sorry, meat ankles. <laughs> Turn your head and cough. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so you all agree that researchers have turned a... An adult uh, skin cell into an embryonic stem cell, or a stem cell that is identical to an embryonic stem cell. That would be pretty amazing. Identical in every way. I'll go a step further than even the scientists. And that is science. Yeah. That is incredible. That's wonderful. (laughs) They reprogrammed the fibroblast of of a mouse... Uh, so it's a, is it with a mouse, not a human. Oh, it's mice. But there's no if they can do it with a mouse, there's no reason why they can't do it with a human. Great. Now it can cure mouse cancer. <laughs> Yay! All those, all those, all those mice that we inject cancer into, we can now cure them. <laughs> the stem cell debate is over. It is. Technology has ended the embryonic stem cell debate. Basically, that's so or, cool, Rebecca. We're, awesome. we're creating a race Bush of loses. super handsome mice that are going to live forever. Great. Well, that's how it seems, anyway, Steve. I'm still... That's, that's how it seems so far. 
these things always have to be put through the meat grinder or peer review and people picking it over. The mice and the meat grinder. But it looks <laughs> it looks good. And there's nothing implausible about it. They reprogrammed the cells, and in every way they've looked at them so far, they, they seem to be pluripotent. They seem to be able to turn into any kind of cell. The big test, the big test is whether or not they can turn it into a germline cell, right. a cell like a sperm or an egg, and they said that they can they said they can. Yeah, so yeah. And what they said that's it. If, if you could do that, that's it. You have pluripotency. Game you can over. turn into anything. So it, you know, now we have to do it in a human. The, but the other thing about this, thing, keep, the thing to keep in mind, not only does this mean that we have a source of stem cells that are as powerful as embryonic stem cells, but that can be harvested yeah. from adult tissue. We don't have to An endless avoid supply. the entire ethical conundrum of using embryos, is that... They could do this from your skin cell, and they can make a stem cell that's you. That's so you'll bank you'll huge. bank your cells. You don't have to, you don't have to bank anything. They take a piece of skin. You know they they can do it from yeah. you now. So the whole banking of cord blood and all that stuff becomes obsolete. That's incredible. If that's true, <laughs> how's my investment in that cord blood factory? <laughs> they bank your cell. They don't know what to turn it into until you need it later. Yeah, they could so. grow you. They could grow you a new liver, you know. Yeah, but how do I? What That's if I don't need a new liver? It. I need a new kidney. They grow you a new kidney. The point is, ever they don't have to bank anything. They can harvest it from you as needed, because it's from an adult awesome. skin cell, an adult fibroblast. Well, it depends how long it, t- it takes. It depends how long it takes for them to uh, cr- you know create the stem cells. That would be a factor. Well, yeah. So <laughs> I guess you could you could envision. I mean, I've seen this in science fiction movies, you know, where you have. Are you presenting that uh, as evidence? Yeah. yeah <laughs> No, I'm just saying the, the, the concept the concept that you'll harvest the cells and you'll grow the organs to sort of keep them on hand. So that That's like I saw an episode of Star Trek once where they stuck this thing in a guy's ear and controlled his mind. <laughs> Con! Please this in your ear. Rebecca, that thing is called a tongue, okay? No, I'm just saying, so the one option is they harvest as needed, but if you want to pre- I'm not a robot, I'm a doctor. Pre-grow all the organs so they're sitting there, but I, I doubt that that's going to be uh, what, that's, that's what's going to happen. All right, once thought impossible, researchers have captured the motion of a single electron on a home video camera. And I can't believe I didn't get any of you guys with this one, because this one sounds... Steve, you almost it. got me. I, We're on to your shenanigans, also Steve. science... I know, these we were two good ones. I had two last week. Were, they <laughs> were did. all lame. Last you week, did. you yeah. guys told me last week, but they were all lame. There was not one good news item last week. This week, I had two good ones, and I still didn't sucker you guys in. No, this no, was, I mean, true. come on, on a home video <laughs> camera. It's too zany. You couldn't make that up, Steve. I can make. No, I can make like it up. I can't. Steve, as soon That's as I heard invitation. that, as soon as you said home video camera, I said, "Well, I know it's not on the show." <laughs> it's the first thing I said. This myself. was just published in the Journal of Low Temperature Physics. <laughs> Who thought there was such a journal? The Journal of what? From uh, Brown University, a couple of physicists figured out a way to fi- to. Now the trick is they didn't videotape the electron; it was the motion of the electron. Uh, they, yeah. So that was the little trick there. Um, what they fig- what they do is they looked at the motion of an electron through liquid helium, super cold liquid helium. I guess that's why it's low temperature physics. And uh, the reason why they use that is because normally, you know, an electron will repel any other atoms around it, but the surface tension of whatever it's in 
is greater than the, than its re, re, the repelling force, so it just collapses around it. But but supercooled liquid helium doesn't have much surface tension, so a little bubble forms around the electron, and they were able to make the bubble bigger by using sound waves, basically, uh, and then they were able to to videotape the bubble as the electron moved through the liquid helium, and they were able to videotape the motion of the electron. So sometimes it, it moved in a relatively straight line. Other times it would take kind of a, a helical path through the helium, which is interesting. Uh, the, the bubbles are still very small. They are about 40 angstroms across. Across, Very tiny, but they were able to see it. Wait, wait, wait. What was that unit how of the, measurement, How the hell Steve? is a video camera going to see something Thank you. 40 angstroms across? Because of these scattered photons. From the bubble. Get with it. Scattered photons. Oh, do you know how big an angstrom is, Perry? God. It's very small. You are scientifically illiterate. Well, tell me how big an angstrom is. An angstrom is about the size of your phallus. (laughs) Can we please move on to to number three? (laughs) All right. Thank you. Which means... Thank you. ...that number three, in order to address faculty shortages... A nursing institute has recently employed a robotic instructor to teach some classes. It is indeed fiction. But you know, it's only barely fiction. And I, I almost made this a real one, but I think it would have been unfair. Uh, in, in fact, this, as usual, the fake one is based upon a real news story. A nursing, I hate when you do that. A nursing institute is using a robotic instructor to make up for faculty uh, shortages. But the robot isn't really teaching the courses. It's really it's a telepresence robot. It's delivering. The, it's delivering. Yeah. And right. so there's a, there is a nursing instructor somewhere else, and they they have a ignore that man behind the. Curtain. They have a presence in the classroom, a robotic telepresence in the classroom, but the the robot is just a dummy, if you will, just an avatar. You know, passing on. Yeah, but why? Avatar. Why do that? Why not just have a screen? Uh, I guess it gives them the ability to to look around the room to be more interactive than than if it were just a screen. You know, okay. It is a full a full telepresence robot, you know, not just a screen. It's the RP7. Robot which RP I think is the is remote presence robotic system. Could you fight with it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you crush something in your iron grip? Just wondering. Patricia Martin PhD who is uh, who is I guess at the at the nursing institute uh, set of the technology. I am very excited about the unlimited potential and futuristic possibilities of the RP7. It provides us with a glimpse of how <coughs> technically savvy faculty can continue to be engaged in nursing education. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it basically gives the ability of people from you know, re- remotely to 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 serve as uh, instructors. So one day that'll turn into like that robot that helped out Luke get his hand back in the. Uh that's exactly yes, how it'll that's turn it, out. Jay. Yes. That's it. This <laughs> is being used analogy. in the Nursing Institute of West Central Ohio. Good job, everyone. I really thought I was going to get you this week. We had a couple of those. Were, those were tricky ones. They were. Yeah. Uh, Evan, can you please re- read for us last week's puzzle? Sure. And uh, give us the answer. Sure. Last week's puzzle was as follows. Finish the last five characters in this sequence. F, 2, 2, F, Three E seven two E six G two two G four, and the listener had to come up with the last five characters in the sequence, and someone did. In fact, awesome. So the answer, well, um, the answer, of course, as you know, is D eight two H four. 
and Jay Day was the first one to correctly guess that. So congratulations to him. Now, Jay Day was the first to recognize that this is in fact a chess move sequence, also known as the fool's mate or the two move checkmate in chess. And the F, the numbers F two, the first two characters, represent the first square on the board. The number two that follows it signifies. It's a little tricky here. The word two, as in where you're going to move that piece to, T-O, and then the next two letters are F3. So you take piece on F2, which is a pawn, and you move it to F3. The next move is E7, 2, E6, and so on. And the end result, the last five characters, gives you the the rare two-move checkmate in chess, also known as the fool's mate. So it took a chess player to recognize the sequence, and I knew some, at least a couple of our Listeners have to be proficient in chess to recognize it. And congratulations again to Jay Day. Well, so we have a new one. Let's hear the next. Here's this week's puzzle. It's more it's more trivia than puzzle, but we'll see who gets it first. Name the former world leader that used to laugh at UFO believers, but later became a believer himself when he himself witnessed one. Think about that and be the first one to answer correctly. Good luck, everyone. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. Uh, entertaining as always. Perry, do you have a quote for us this week? A well-researched quote, I hope. Yes, a pro- properly, <laughs> as always, properly referenced as always. quote. As always. Skepticism, like chastity, should not be relinquished too readily. That was George Santayana, Spanish-born American philosopher, poet, and humanist of some note, 1863 to 1952. Before before we sign off, I have a small announcement to make. Yes, we have a couple of announcements, starting with Rebecca Go. Thank you. <laughs> Excuse me, I will introduce myself. Thank you. Um, I uh, A few weeks ago, I let you guys all know on the podcast that I was competing in a contest put on by Public Radio Exchange uh, to find the next host of a public radio show. Well, apparently, um, a lot of you signed onto the website and voted for me and got me into the second round. So out of about 1,500 entrants, I was chosen as one of 10 people to move on to the second round. Awesome. And so I now stand a very good chance of winning my own skeptical radio show. So thank you very Congratulations. much. Congratulations. That is awesome. That's awesome, Rebecca. And uh, thanks. Top 10 out of 1,500. That is Yeah, and I impressive. believe that I won the popular vote. Nine of the people were chosen by judges, and one person was chosen by the public, and I was the person chosen by the public. So are you attributing this to the power of our podcast, Rebecca? I am indeed. <laughs> The power of skeptics. So, yeah, I'm going to need that same support going forward in the second round. The second round is going to start in the next uh, couple of days, probably, and I'll let you all know uh, where to go to vote when that happens. Oh, we should put the link on our on our uh, notes page. Yeah, I'll I'll have a link to the site and uh, any specifics that come up in the next week or so. Well, Rebecca, you, you know why? Because we broke the 20,000 listener mark. That probably had something to do with it. How many regular <laughs> listeners are we up to now? We actually just broke 21,000. 21,000 listeners. If you recall, we, we had set 
the conservative goal for ourselves at the beginning of the year to get we were at 10,000 at the beginning of 2007 and we wanted to break 20,000 by the end of 2007 and we broke it just about exactly halfway through the year at the best so yeah point. new goal for the year i say like 8 million Mm-hmm. Eight million. Eight million. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys with me? As soon as you start advertising oh, yeah. for us on your radio program. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you're buying, I'm with you. Uh, one more th- quick thing I'd like to just to remind our listeners that the uh, Skeptics Guide premium content, uncut number two, is up and ready for downloading. Cool. Uh, we've had some, quite a few people download it this time, and I'm getting a lot of feedback, very, very positive feedback. And this is definitely... Uh, my favorite of the two. What interviews are it's, on it's there? This is fantastic. Christopher Hitchens oh, uh, yeah. is, is the one. primary one. <laughs> not for the children. And, and I, <laughs> I'm sure there's the appropriate Eight, disclaimer. 18 and up. He was only. awesome. And your favorite, Eugenie Scott, is, uh, is the other interview. Uh, yeah, I love Jeannie. Yeah, she's good people. Those, oh, those yeah. were some Jeannie's fun interviews. It's yeah. a full hour of uncut skepticism. Cool. This summer, we're going to have... Uh, we usually have a, a Ness summer event, and we are going to... Uh, make this not only a Ness event, but also a Skeptics Guide event. We're going to celebrate two years. We're going to celebrate our 100th episode, which is coming up soon. Uh, and the date for that is August 11th. Hey, that's Jay's the birthday. Location and other details. It is also Jay's birthday. That <laughs> Correct. Is my birthday. Hey. But it more is, importantly. Uh, <laughs> but more importantly, you know, it's got our priorities. Yeah, here. thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> So save the date, and as soon as we have more details, like you know, minor details like a location, we will have it on our website. We'll, we'll you know announce it on on upcoming episodes. But just to let everyone know that that is going to be the date of the Skeptics Guide, New England Skeptical Society Skeptic Summer Blowout. Be there oh, yeah. or be square. To give them a clue, it's going to be either in New York City, in Boston, or in Connecticut. Somewhere. Yeah, it'll be New somewhere between New York. Somewhere City and on the sure, eastern yes. seaboard. Yeah. Yes, that is that is true. Prepare yourself. Between those Somewhere areas. in the northern hemisphere. There was talk of Oregon, so, but we, we, we shot that right there. Planet Earth. <laughs> Book your plane tickets now. Hopefully there'll be, uh, for once, a nice meteor shower that night, because that's part of the annual... <gasps> Is that the Perseids? Annual Perseids. Cool. In August. Bob, every, every year. Bob, how many years has it been now? Every single <laughs> year. You remember it. We look, and the, it, there's every overcast. Because the it's summer, summertime in New England is, is Literally tough Literally for the past the decade, every year. It's like... Bob, yeah. I promise you there will be an excellent meteor shower that night. <laughs> yeah. Now, I can't promise you you'll be able to <laughs> right. see it, but it will <laughs> yes, be there. The it will be okay. there. Okay. Well, thanks again, everyone. Thank you, Steve. Good episode. Thanks, Thank Steve. you. Good to be back. Welcome back, Rebecca. Until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, suggestions, and other feedback. You can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Problems, proof, endless delays.